I was flooded by fear. I got goosebumps yeah. when that happened. This is the playbook. I am so excited because every once in a while, I get somebody on that I consider family. Uh, a lot of people don't know I have a relationship with a person, but the scary part of telling people that is they then think that's the reason the person's on the podcast because they are family. I never do that. In fact, no one's ever met my brothers, uh, but you are brother. Brian Bogert, he's an extraordinary speaker. He is an extraordinary consultant and coach, but he's really an entrepreneur, which is why I wanted him on Entrepreneurs the Playbook, because you're using what will be the future of personal brands that can be applicable to product services mm -hmm. or solutions to leverage into business development, business mm -hmm. opportunities. There's so many different things that you have your hands in, utilizing things that I have coached you and you coached co-honor me with mentorship of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. You're on the same mission as I am, except for mm -hmm. you say you want to empower a billion people. I say over a billion people. I'm not limiting myself. Sadhguru is going to take the rest, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, but what makes you unique is there's so many people that need to tell their story mm -hmm. and monetize it for good. Mm -hmm. And you're doing it. You know, a lot of people come to me and ask for help about doing that. And I'm like, first, you got to tell a story. You got to teach lessons and then you got to monetize it. And these are three different skill sets. I'd like to start just briefly with your story yep. because everyone has a story, but you have an extraordinary story and you tell it so well. Then I'm going to talk about what lessons and then how to monetize it. Does that sound fair? That sounds beautiful. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I will just start by saying, look, like we, we've all been to a store. We've all had successful shopping trips. We've all walked out of that. <laughs> mine that are expensive. Store. Yeah, mine are typically expensive too. They're even more expensive if I'm with my wife, but, <laughs> and she's frugal, but uh, you know, and we had one of those normal days. And brother, we walked out of the store. We looked up at How the sky. How old were you? I was seven. Seven, okay. Yeah, and we, we went to get a one inch paintbrush. We went to our local Walmart just to get a one inch paintbrush. That's all we needed. And as we were headed back home, I've always had excitement, vigor for life, right? I've got a big energy, you know this. And so it's like, it wasn't a surprise to my mom or brother that I was the first one in the car. I wanted to get home and put that paintbrush to use. And so as I'm standing there, we think we, that I put my hand out on the handle, right? And I'm just waiting for my mom to catch up to unlock the doors. And this was back in the day before key fobs. So I had to wait for her to put the physical key in the door, turn it so we can go. As we were standing there, waiting for all this to happen, a truck pulls up in front of the store, driver and middle passenger get out, and the passenger all the way to the right feels the truck move backwards. So he did what any one of us would do, Dave, and he scooted over, put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. The combination of shock and force threw him up on the steering wheel, up on the dashboard, and before you know it, he's catapulting across the parking lot 40 miles an hour right at us with no time to react. So I'm standing there, we think, and our truck goes, or the truck goes up and over the median, up and, up and over the median, the tree that was in the median hits our car, knocks me over, runs over me diagonally, tears my spleen, leaves a tire track scar on my stomach and continues on to completely sever my left arm from my body. So there I am laying on the parking lot on a 115 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona in the Ugh. middle of August. My mom and brother watch the whole thing happen and they look up and they see my arm laying 10 feet away. Fortunately for me, so did my guardian angel. There was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this took place and she saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her and I'm forever indebted to her for choosing to go into action versus turning, her, turning away and going on with her day. She came over, she stopped the bleeding on the main wound and saved my life. And she instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler, get my detached arm on ice within minutes to give me a fighting chance of having my limb reattached as well. So if it wasn't for this individual, I either wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. That's just the truth. 
So I know I have a unique story and I'm not going to go into all the lessons just yet, but, right. but one of the things that you just said is what I also realize and believe is that, yes, I have a crazy unique story, but we all do. We all have unique stories. What's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from those stories and then become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. And we all have the ability to do that. We also all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. Yeah, it's so interesting because I'll start a speech and talk about who here grew up with nothing and half the audience always raises their hand or at least half mm -hmm. the audience. And then I say, you know, I feel sorry for the rest of you. Sometimes when we have a physical uh, lesson, a, a mm -hmm. physical, there's an advantage yeah. of teaching the lessons, yeah. right? As you told your story, you know, I'm an empathetic, so I, you could see I was tearing up. I, I, I it was hurting me and <laughs> still just thinking about it. Um, and yet there's other people that can take uh, internal things and be able to express those. So now you have pain mm -hmm. uh, and, you, and you have a long history of surgeries. How many surgeries? 24. 24. And look, and you have perseverance. and consider, But beyond that now, we have to transition Mm -hmm. your life pain so that other people can benefit from it to That's make right. it a propellant, meaning propelling you to something better, not punishing you. That's right. And this is where your magic happens, right? Your <laughs> attitude, your energy. It's why I love working with you. It's why I love mentoring you is that I have been around the greats, the John Foley's of the world, the Matt Higgins of the world. And yet Brian Bogert carries and possesses a fervor and energy of communicating a lesson within the physical pain that you have yeah. endured. Uh, and I'm sure there's some emotional things too that Absolutely. we'll get into. Yeah. When did you decide that it wasn't enough just to endure and to succeed yourself, that you were going to use this to catapult others, to elevate others, to elevate yourself? Yeah. So I think that <laughs> that's a little bit of a difficult question because there isn't an exact moment. Mm -hmm. It was an evolution and a progress, and it started in different ways. So I knew very early that I had a unique story and that I've always been loud and talked too fast and too much, and they could never shut me up, right? And so how old was that when you say too early? Literally seven okay, good. was when I started because they recognized the hospital and the Children's Miracle Network, and everybody was like, oh, we've got a media opportunity. <laughs> you were the poster child. Right, and, and in, in a lot of ways, it sounds bad, but because my story was so unique, Right, it's not the normal, oh, like cancer story. And in no way do I mean to minimize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because but you also frankly, have the personality because there's plenty of people with your personality they give the cancer stories to. 100%, right? And so truthfully, it's like, oh, super unique story. Oh, success story. Brian, can you get on stages? So I've been on stages since age seven, but it started with just how do I provide perspective, motivation, direction, right? How do I help other people overcome adversity? How do I help people become loyal to an organization that gave so much to them? How do I help people give money? Yeah, that was that the monetization lesson right? is really key, right? A lot of people 100%. don't get that. Yeah, and so I was a part of founding a young philanthropist group for the hospital that I was treated in, Phoenix Children's Hospital, to literally do that, raise money to be able to perpetuate that system within the So as an early kid, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I was on stage. By 14 and 15, we started turning into a philanthropic sense. When the shift started to happen professionally was really six, seven years ago. And it was in a place where I got stuck. It was right after we had our son. And six months went by and I missed it all. And I was in a position where I was stuck. 
right? Everything I ever sought to accomplish in my life, which was chasing the what's of the world, what house, what car, what amount of money, I had them all by 26, 27, 28 years old and far surpassed what I originally planned. Now we have our son and my whole philosophy always has been, I'm gonna do everything for the benefit of my family. Well, guess what? If I miss the first six months of my kid's life, I don't care what I provide for them. If I'm not physically there, it doesn't matter. So I hired a coach. First coach that I hired, and, and he literally within a month of working with me, he said, Brian, you gotta be doing this. I was like, well, whatever. Like, I'm paying you a lot of money not to tell me how great I am, but to help me figure these things out, right? And he started to trickle it over the course of nine months, but it became very clear that the story that I had personally and the story that I was already building professionally started to come to full circle where it was like, oh, I have a physical pain. I do have emotional pain. I do have spiritual pain. I understand what it's like to build a business from essentially nothing to the ground up with partners, right? I understand what the philanthropic world looks like. Now I can be in a position to help other people. So a year after working with them, I jumped in with both feet and I put a flag in the ground saying, I'm going to now do this professionally as a side hustle. And that's literally what it was for about five years. So that was the beginning was literally when my accident happened but it's had a slow trickle. And the more and more work I did, the more I was like, there is no way that I can do anything other than allow my wins to be other people's wins, right? There's no way that I can be in a position knowing that over the 10 years that I worked in the hospital after my accident and the number of kids that I got close to that we were working on these things together who lost their lives, to their battles. That was one of the first lessons I learned is not to get stuck by what has happened to me in my life, but instead get moved by what I could do with it. So I was already moving at some point. I had to jump in with both feet. And, you know, that transition is difficult. I went through it myself, right? I, I started speaking as a add on uh, to the travel that I was mm -hmm. doing. Uh, I had lessons that I wanted to teach after I lost everything. That was, you know, my big lesson of how to help yeah. people recover, you know, and to illuminate and be vulnerable and still lessons that I teach today yeah. through a spiritual and pragmatic practice. Um, but it took me a long time before I was all in. Mm -hmm. What were some of the fears that you had when the side hustle became the main event? <laughs> What's funny is I didn't even know that I was stuck by fear until my wife pointed it out. It was July of 2019. We went away for a weekend and it was one of those where mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, brother, like we were one. We were connected. So we're driving to pick up our kids. She leans over and she says, what would it look like if you didn't have to go to the office on Monday morning? I was flooded by fear. I got goosebumps yeah. when that happened. And I responded back to her and I said, wow, babe, that's a pretty loaded question. Why don't you tell me more? I had some other health stuff that impacted me a few years prior to that that's all squared away now. But she essentially said, I think you've allowed fear to enter into your world in a way I've never seen you operate. I think you've convinced yourself that we need the status, we need the money, we need the prestige, we need the stability of everything that's been built in this $15 million business that you've scaled with your partners. But she said, I also know that every day you live in risk management and play benefits consulting, you're dying a little bit inside. She, al she said, I also know that the more time you spend there, the more I know you want to be spending time there, the more time you need to be spending time there. She said, I think you're barely scratching the surface of your potential. And she said, and I don't think you're having near the impact on the world that you want. So she said, I know that you are the only person on this planet that I would take a massive bet on. We've done it once and it paid off. Why don't we double down on that bet and see what we can do in the world? If you don't think that I walked away from that conversation absolutely stuck by fear, Right. Like there, it, I, I'm not, it's not lost on me. The courage it took for my wife to challenge me that I, way. I didn't interrupt because I always say, cause my wife has the same attitude and perspective of me. And I always say, if you're think you're afraid of what you can do, try the fear when you are afraid of what you think you can do combined with what the person who's most important in your life yeah, man. thinks you can do. 
That's right. That to aggregate it together is interference between you and the greatest source of light, love. And 100% lessons. agree. And one of my greatest goals in life is to allow my wife to see herself the way I see her. She did that for me. Yeah. Right. She challenged me because she knew that I had more in me. And so, you know, my fear was around financial, right? Am I going to be able to provide for my family? My fear was around scarcity and the shame that I've had to unpack in the last five to seven years, right? And on my side of shame, it wasn't so much my worth, although I'd be lying if I said I didn't sit there. It's on the other side where when you shut down worth and you go up in the arena and you're ready to go to battle, it's who do you think you are? Everything major I'd ever done in my life, I felt the need to apologize for and pull the throttle back. And so I had to unpack that next level of shame in this period of time to really be able to recognize if I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do something massive, I have to literally not worry about the naysayers. I have to put myself in a position where I allow my internal dialogue to be louder than the voices of the world. And I had to know that I had the confidence, conviction, and clarity to be able to move forward in the right way. And for me, and this is one of the areas that you taught me, right, and I'm still working on, I give until it hurts. Yeah. I'm trying and improving in my ability to receive. But because I was going to give until it hurts, that was also one of the biggest motivations is I looked at regret minimization theory, right? I knew that on my deathbed, if I didn't take a chance on this, I'd regret it for the rest of my life. I'd also lost six men in my life to suicide within the 18 months prior to that challenge for my wife. And I knew that if I have a gift, if I have an ability to be able to save someone's life, even if it's one, and, or change the trajectory of their life, which is also saving it, then who am I to be schlepping insurance to go chase a bunch of money when I can literally save someone's life? Like, what are the priorities here? And, you know, both of us, I think, have uh, this duality of light, meaning we know our potential. You know, for whatever reason, whatever happened to us when we're young and being able to mm -hmm. overcome that. And, and it gets terrifying that we're full of this. And, and we both had the same experience of at first people are going to laugh at me, scoff at me, make 100%. fun of me when I stand on a stage. I, I had major corporations. Who do you think you are? Oh, where are you speaking today? The bathroom? You know, all 100%. these things. Right. And then it got bigger and worse for both of us, because as we leaned in, and we have a mission because mine is very similar. My, my 12 year old uh, had a friend that committed suicide yeah. and it blew me away because I, I can understand why, you know, people on drugs or older people would kill themselves. Depression, CTE, the list goes on. Yeah. I understand addiction and, and yeah. depression, but 12 is too young mm -hmm. and I get choked up Dude, because it's... I was sat there on the beach going, shit, I know I can change. That's right. Excuse me those people's lives and I know you know what that feels like inside it's like even if it was just one 12 year old I sat That's on it. the beach going I knew that girl if I could have talked to her you might have had a chance I might have had a chance to change the way she looked at things yeah. so the things that you look at change I'm a mindset expert and so then I came and I said man I'm going to teach people how to do what I know how to do because I can't be everywhere at a thousand times a thousand night and then I was terrified. I had goosebumps, got, whatever it was. I'm walking on the beach. It's 6.15 a.m. I, I come to this realization. I'm going to create a collective consciousness of happiness. And now I got to go tell my wife, who's already, like your wife, been through it. Mm -hmm. She's believed in me. Things are going well. And once again, even though going well in the realm of speaking and author and TV shows and podcasts, and now... I'm going to go stand in front of her and say, hey, I know everything you said that we believe in works, but I'm going to go save the world. Yeah. 
That, to me, when you talked about what are people going to think, I could just see people who do you think are Jesus Christ, Tony Robbins. Yeah. And even my wife, right? And it took me, I don't know how many weeks before I even admitted what I wanted to do to my own wife, yeah. who's my biggest fan. Well, what was it like for you? So it's been a whole transformation, you know, and truthfully, I think her giving me that push and permission is what's also started to allow her to better chase who she is, mm. which is even more powerful. So, you know, it, it is, it's crazy overwhelming. I, you know, I'm, I struggle today already with the fact that I'll go to an event and half the people there will know who I am. Right. It, tri it trips my shame big time. Cause I'm like, I want, I wish I knew who they were. Right. And, and I'm not above anybody else, but I also have started to trust and surrender to the fact that I have certain gifts on this planet in this human body that are going to allow me to do things that other people aren't going to be able to do. Just like you have those gifts and other people have their own unique gifts. And so my whole thing is like, how do we bring out people's unique brilliance and how do we save lives? Cause brother, like that to me is what it's all about. It, it, you know, I am going to impact a billion by 2045. So we actually have a similar over a billion. Nice. I'm not cutting myself short. I just have a timeline <laughs> on hitting a billion and then it's gonna, ex it's gonna exemplify from there, right? It'll just multiply. Um, but my wife, to, to say specifically what it is, it's interesting because just last week we had this conversation. She said, you never really have talked to me so much as you recently have about what you've done professionally. You know, I chased the what? I was literally losing who I was in the process of building other businesses that were very successful. And as I've realigned with who I am, Everything I'm doing is a manifestation of who I am. So all the what's in my world are a manifestation of who I am. The businesses, the people that we're aligning, the energy, the momentum, the cool focus on what we're doing. And so everything I'm doing aligns with who I am. And I also know because I've built my life in an intentional alignment, what is it's self-regulating. So I know what fits and what doesn't. So now I talk to her with passion because it's a hard balance at home because I actually love every bit of what I do. So those lines get even more blurred, friends, family, connections, business. But at the same time, she said, I used to not like to listen to you talk about work. Nice. Because she's like, I knew how much you were suffering and how much you hated what you were doing, but you were doing it for us. She said, but there are times where I don't want to talk about work now, but it, you're so passionate about it. And she's like, what am I going to say? She's like, let's not talk about you wanting to go change the world. Like that's literally, like she's finally had this switch flip where she's like, oh yeah, no, I pushed you to do this. Oh, and, and by the way, I gave you permission to do it. I gave you belief to do it. Oh, and now you're going to go do it. So she's like, I might as well get on board because this is what, what we as a collective, it's not going to be me impacting a billion lives. It's collective impact, right? Just like you've got an equation to get there. You and I are going to help each other reach a billion. We are. Right. And that's, that's the beautiful part is it's not about me. It's about everybody else that we're going to impact. I don't want the credit. I just want to make sure that I can be the role I need to be to perpetuate change in the world that I know needs to happen. And la last question, I mean, this is genius. Because everything is evolving and manifesting itself from your authentic self by pursuing your potential, uh, there's still a component of the currency of money, the energy. 100%. You're making more money than you've ever made, uh, and you're going to continue to do that. It's an aspect of what I coach on and mentor. But there, within the context of what you're doing, there's still triggers 100%. and worthiness issues. 100%. And now you uh run the risk of imposter syndrome mm -hmm. of feeling less worthy because when you walk in a room and half the people know you and they've elevated your status to above what humanly is possible because it's a, a more perfect version of you than exists that's right 
how have you been able to work through or practice keeping the worthiness of the authenticity of your vulnerability of who you are to a level that will allow you to continue to scale mm -hmm. all the different businesses that are manifesting themselves and monetize them exponentially because you are worthy, you are mm -hmm. happy, you are healthy. And I know not to, you know, it, I know we have our own confidential meaning, but there have been times where you have manifested interference of health. 100%. And I've allowed you to identify, I am healthy, Dave. What am I doing to interfere with that? Yep. And we've explored it and there have been major breakthroughs that have manifested themselves in more business and more money. 100%. And, you know, and I think it's, you know, I have this belief system, right, that it's mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, right? It's that quadrant. And I think that that quadrant layered on top of it is like, we don't teach people to think about our thinking, think about our feeling, feel our thinking and feel our feeling. When you take those two quadrants and you pair them together, it's a pretty cool equation for helping us move through stuff. There's two simple things though, that I have done to answer the question that you've talked about. One, I've made a really dedicated focus at raising my level of consciousness as high as I can reach it at any given moment in any given day. The more I've committed to that through meditation coaches, Reiki energy healing, stillness, very intentional practices to better harness my mind, my energy, my soul, and make sure that I'm always connected and understanding what's truly happening. That's where wisdom can flow through me versus me having to access knowledge. It changes the game and how we can actually enter into the world. And the basic concept around that is this idea of trusting, surrendering, and breathing. I've applied trust, surrender, and breathe mentally. I've done it emotionally. I've done it spiritually. The venture I'm in right now is physically, right? Because it was something that I shut off for so long. But it's really my understanding of being able to raise my level of consciousness. And then it's also paying attention to really looking at who am I surrounding myself with so that I can live in my unique brilliance and also detaching from any particular outcome at any given moment. When I can align myself that way and remember these things, it helps me bring it together. The framework that I'm working through though is around emotional triggers, okay? So where I think most people get stuck, they usually think it's a combination of the wrong strategy or tactics, almost always. They're like, well, if I just get here, I'll get there. If I buy this seven-step system, I'll get there. If I do this three-step system, I'll get there, right? It's all of that. And so they're always looking for their next hero, their next savior, the next guide, like, and they're looking for the next, how am I gonna do this? Strategic and tactical. That's an outside in approach. What most people don't actually pay attention to is what truly keeps us stuck is a combination of our emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning. I could teach a day on each one of those topics, but the one that ties them all together is emotional triggers. Here's the thing about triggers. Triggers are designed to be pulled. So you can either allow your emotional triggers to pull the trigger on you and you'll react, or you can pull the trigger on your emotional triggers and choose to respond. It's a combination of awareness, ownership, unrooting, and then moving. And so when I look at shame, I have to really be able to understand truly that I'm affected by shame. I need to be aware of it. I need to understand where, how it's affecting me, how it's manifesting in my life, where the worthiness is gonna keep me tripped up. Then I have to be able to own it. I have to own that those things have also created damage in my world. Because shame can show up as defensiveness in my household that might cause me to react to my wife. It might show up as uh, me making myself small and, and ruining a business deal, right? It's all these things that, that are connected that we have to pay attention to. Then I have to unroot it. What are the root or roots of my shame? I had to do that work. I had to go inside and understand it. And, under, and those are mine. I'm not going to share them right now. But the point is I need to understand where did shame develop in my life? How has it patterned through my life? Here's the really complicated part. 
I have to understand that shame will manifest in my body multiple different ways. Because fame, shame masks itself as fear, anxiety, scarcity, defensiveness, perfectionism, you name it, right? And so we have to understand that these emotions move through our bodies differently. So at home, I get defensiveness. It will trip anger, which is a surface emotion, which will cause me to list when my wife suggests, hey, are you going to spend two hours with kids this weekend? I'll defend and say, well, here's the 10 things I did in the last two days to show I'm a good husband and father because it tripped my shame. Whereas instead, in that moment, if I can understand that was a trigger, I can change the pattern by pausing and breathing through it and recreating it. But shame will impact me as well because I talk fast and I'm loud. How many times in a business meeting have people been like, shh, like, calm down, right? Which <laughs> causes me to shrink small. Right. What we have to do is understand how does the emotion move through our body? And then how do we tie it to the things that actually trigger us? I have six different shame ways that it manifests in my body and probably 50 different triggers. The way to actually remove the resistance is to make sure that our intellectual understanding of who we are and what we believe aligns with what we're feeling. And we have to do that work through understanding how we're being triggered in every single moment. If we could understand that shame or worth or anything is anybody's singular bigger, biggest trigger, and we could remove that for them, think about how that changes cultures, leadership, interactions, home and personal relationships, professional relationships, our ability to manifest and grow. It allows us to be abundant and detached and things can actually come through us and flow through us, which is one of the things you've taught me is my ability to receive, to perpetuate the way I wanna give, right? And that's, that's all through these concepts of higher level of consciousness and understanding the triggers with a high level of awareness and intentionality so that we can recreate patterns. Because oh, by the way, most of the stuff that we're triggered by is not our fault, but it is our responsibility. And accountability. And this is the moment on the playbook I love because it's when the student becomes the teacher and I have a realization of complete happiness to see you evolve where you are and you. know that I have one more of the thousand out there as you taking over at least a billion people by 2045. The incredible Brian Bogert here on an incredible episode of The Playbook.